Revelation chapter 12, and we'll read the first six verses. Revelation 12, beginning in verse 1, hear the word of the Lord. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Lord, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds by the power of your Holy Spirit so that as your scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you have to say to us today. We pray these things in Christ's holy name. Amen. In your bulletin insert, we have our familiar outline that has been our guide through the deep waters of Revelation. And this morning with chapter 12, we begin the fourth of seven unveilings during the inter-advental period, different camera angles looking at the same period of time. This time, the battle against Satan in chapters 12, 13, 14, and it spills into the beginning of 15. And in these chapters, you have different aspects describing this, different visions describing this. But I did find one commentator this past week, and somehow this had escaped me, and I haven't seen it, I don't think, in more than one. But he observes there seems to be another pattern of seven in this fourth unveiling. And just very quickly, I'll give it to you how he breaks it down. Chapter 12, which we're looking at, beginning to look at this morning, is the conflict with Satan or this great red dragon. Then you move into chapter 13 and you have the persecution by the beast from the sea. Then in end of chapter 13, you have the persecution by a beast from the land. So that's number three. You move into chapter 14 and you have the lamb and another view of the 144,000. You remember them from earlier in Revelation. That's number four. Then in the middle of chapter 14, you have the proclamation of the gospel and the judgment by three angels. That's number five. The end of chapter 14, you have the son of man's judgment on earth. That's number six. And then at the end of this fourth unveiling, at the beginning of chapter 15, you have the saints' victory over the sea beast and their victory song. So if that holds true, and I want to just mull this over a little bit more, but he's smarter than I am, I think that's probably the case. Which again, I think, just emphasizes to us this cyclical nature of 7777 really does inform the way we're reading this book as different unveilings of the same period of time. And in fact, in our chapter this morning, 
Um, we start to look at the, this great beast and the havoc that he's wreaking on earth during the interadvental period. But then, Lord willing, the next time we get together at the end of chapter 12, just like we've seen several times already, the scene, the vision then switches back to heaven. And another wonderful reminder that while all this mess is going on down here, God is in control. The saints are still worshiping around the throne and victory songs are being sung and will be sung to Jesus Christ because he is in control. But to look at our passage this morning, the bit, one of the big questions is who is this woman, this cosmic woman who is described in verse one as being clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She's pregnant and she is about to give birth. And I think, yes, very naturally, the first concept that might come to mind is this is the Virgin Mary about to give birth to Jesus Christ. And that is the common Roman Catholic understanding of this passage I want to argue this morning, and this is a more typical Protestant understanding of the passage, that in a larger sense, the woman represents all believers over time leading up to the birth of Christ and all believers between the birth of Christ and his second coming. And you see that as the passage unfolds, it seems to be describing a faithful community of people. In particular, if you flip down to verse 17 of chapter 12, we read this. Then the dragon became furious with the woman. That's the same woman in the vision. And went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. And here we have a real clue as to what this vision symbolizes. Her offspring, it says, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. The idea being that we, the church, those who follow after Christ, those who seek to obey the commandments of Christ, are at the same time part of that body that birthed Jesus Christ. He came out of the church, of course, born to the Virgin Mary. And at the same time, that plays into this, this metaphor that runs throughout Scripture, that Christ is our elder brother. The mother is the church, which is made up of us as believers who follow after Christ. And Christ is born into the church, through the church, through the Virgin Mary, becomes our older brother. And the woman, I would argue, in chapter 12 this morning, represents God's covenant people, both of the Old Testament and the New Testament, or who we commonly refer to as the church. And I love this concept of referring to both God's Old Testament people and his New Testament people coming together and being one in their mother. In fact, oftentimes in Scripture, you see this in the Old Testament a good bit, especially in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 49, chapter 50, chapter 66. The, the ancient prophets would use these motherly terms to refer to the church. And you come into the New Testament. Paul does the exact same thing in Galatians 4. 
And in fact, I would argue the Apostle John has done the exact same thing before in his second epistle, where you might remember he referred to the church as the elect lady and her children. It is a divinely instituted organization organized by God. And because of our fallen nature, because of our propensity to disobedience, because our hearts are so prone to wander in his grace, by his mercy, God has given us a lot of help to nurture our faith. I need a lot of help to nurture my faith. I need to be in church regularly every Lord's Day, receiving the encouragement of God's Word, receiving the strength of God's Word, receiving the encouragement of God's people. That is a motherly, nourishing role that the church plays as the church cares for us and guides us in, his, in our faith. And of course, it's Jesus Christ who shed his blood for his church. And I love the way she's described here in verse 12. Look at, look at how God's people, the church, is described. This woman, this beautiful woman, is clothed with the sun. Now, just put on your apocalyptic filter for a moment. She's clothed with the sun the moon is under her feet, so she has a place of beauty, she has a place of glory, she has a place of honor, she, she is this brilliant, radiating organization, and on her head is a crown of 12 stars. Now we've already run into the number 12 multiple times in the book of Revelation, when you see 12 in apocalyptic literature in the Bible, you want to think 12 patriarchs, 12 apostles. That number 12 is a key identifier, a, a symbolic identifier, again, of God's people, Old Testament and New Testament, the 12 of the old, the 12 of the new. I love, I found a quote by John Calvin not too many years ago, he said, for those to whom God is a father, the church must also be a mother. And I think that's very true. If you love the Lord Jesus Christ, you just, you just have to love his church. You have to be affiliated with his church. You have to find nurture and nourishment in the church. In fact, I don't want to get too far ahead, but if you look in verse 6, Look what the church is doing during this inter-advental period in verse 6. If the woman is the church, the body of Christ, she flees into the wilderness. That's us now. We're in the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished. That's what the church does for the people of God. It, it nourishes us. It nourishes our faith. It takes care of us during this interadvental period when we need to be taken care of. Well, back to verse 2. She's about to give birth to Jesus. The church is about to give birth to Jesus. I would say verse 2 is really a summary of the entire Old Testament. I, you know, I just love um, brief statements that bottom line concepts. 
Give me an axiom. Give me brevity. What, what is the bottom line? I'm just simple like that. And I like brevity. I would say Revelation chapter 12, verse 2 is a good summary verse of the entire Old Testament. There's a lot in the Old Testament. But I think this is the bottom line. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains. That summarizes the message of, I think, every Old Testament prophet I can think of. Jesus is coming. The Messiah is coming. Hang in there. God is working His plan. The scroll is unfolding. The seals are being broken. This is all going in the right direction. You just have to be patient and hold on and trust. It is like the agony of birth pains. But when the time comes, she's going to give birth. And then there's the dragon. Verse 3. Another sign appeared in heaven. So here's the church about to give birth to the Savior in the fullness of time. The culmination of hundreds, thousand plus years of Old Testament prophecy. Another sign appeared in heaven. Verse 3, behold a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and on his heads seven diadems. And I can't help but think this description of Satan, and we know it's Satan. In fact, if you skip down to verse 9, this is one of those um, fortuitous occasions in the book of Revelation where he explicitly tells us this is what this symbolizes. There's no question about it. Verse 9, the great red dragon was throw down, thrown down. That ancient serpent who is also called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. So there's no doubt who the red dragon is. You can quibble about the woman. I've made my best case. The dragon, there's no doubt about it. This is Satan. He's waiting to devour this child that's about to be born. And I can't help but read this and think all the way back to Genesis 3, where you remember when we first encounter this evil being, he appears as what seems to be a relatively harmless, small snake. He's crafty, yes. He's deceitful, yes. He's cunning, yes. But the small serpent that appeared to Eve in the garden, now as time marches on and God's plan of salvation history is getting closer and closer to fulfillment, he shows back up here toward the end of the Bible, and rather than a small serpent, he is this enormous seven-headed dragon painted in red, which is the color of warfare and death. And he wears these symbols, these seven heads with seven crowns, and of course seven is complete, seven is perfect. The crown represents power and authority. Ten is a number that's mentioned here. Ten horns. If, if seven is the number of completeness in um, apocalyptic literature, you might think of ten as the number of completeness in decimal form. Ten is a, a, a complete decimal number. So the idea is power, complete, 
full. He's the prince of the world. And he dominates the world. He dominates governments. He dominates empires. He dominates politics. He dominates academies. That is the work of Satan. You don't want to underestimate his power. He is powerful. He is not omnipotent. And I think there's a little bit of irony going on here. You've got this big old creature with the seven heads and the ten this and the seven crowns. And yet as the passage unfolds, once again, and I would just point out, this is a recurring theme in the book of Revelation, as powerful and ugly as Satan is, he is suffering from delusions of grandeur. He's, not as, he's more powerful than we might give him credit for, but he's not as powerful as he thinks he is. And certainly as this unfolds and we see the power of God worked out through the work of his son, he is not in control. These are mere symbols. And that's why when we get down to verses 10, 11, and 12, next time, Lord willing, I don't want to jump ahead too far, but you see the saints in heaven and they're all singing praises to Jesus. Here's a seven-headed dragon wreaking holy havoc on the earth, unholy havoc on the earth. And yet you cut back to the scene in heaven and the countless hosts are singing around the throne songs of praise to the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. Again, Satan seeking to exterminate. Satan, this dragon, seeking to destroy and decimate and, and undo what God is doing. There's a couple of ways you can take this, uh, verse 4. Some see the one-third that is mentioned in verse 4 here. One-third of the stars of heaven cast them to the earth as a reference to the original fall of angels in heaven. And that when Satan fell, and, and that's a mysterious concept, it fleshes out a little bit more into chapter, at the end of chapter 12, that Satan took one-third of the angels with him and they were cast out of heaven. In fact, if you skip down uh, to verse 9, the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. There seems to be something to that. That at some point there was some cosmic rebellion that led to the fall of Satan and he took many angelic beings with him. I think that's certainly a legitimate way of reading verse 4. I will just point out there are other commentators who point out that once again, this is just, you don't want to read too much of it. That once again, this is just apocalyptic imagery. The, the, the whole picture of this great dragon tail knocking stars out of the sky. And of course, you go back to the Old Testament and 
There are times when the believers of the church are described as stars or more numerous than the stars. And we've seen one-third, we've seen one-fourth, we've seen half of seven, we've seen John playing with the numbers in the apocalyptic fashion. And we've noticed several times before, usually when you see a fraction, it is a way of communicating this is incomplete, this is partial, this is temporal, this is not going to last forever, this is not ten or seven, it's less than that. And perhaps this is a reference to this idea that Satan's wrath is powerful, Satan's destruction is ugly, he is uh, lining himself up against God's people on earth, but at the same time, that is not going to last forever. And, and I would even say, and this is probably where I land, it doesn't have to be either or. You know, in apocalyptic literature, much like prophetic literature, you can hold to a couple of different options that are not contradictory. And maybe that's the case here. I, th I think the idea probably is that Satan's going to wreak a lot of havoc. He's going to do so with the angels in heaven. He's going to do so here on earth. But never forget, it is limited and incomplete and partial and temporal. And it's all part of a bigger plan that is going to result in the glory and vindication of Jesus Christ. We well, come to verse 5, and uh, here is the fulfillment of all the messianic prophecies of the Old Testament. Verse 5, she gave birth to a male child in the fullness of time. Born to the Virgin Mary, the church produces its long-promised, long-awaited messianic Savior. And as the Son is born, we quickly telescope to the end of his life. She gave birth to a male child, one who took all the nations with a rod iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. That is the ascension of Jesus Christ. So you have two things going on there in verse 5. Number one, an emphasis that Jesus Christ was born. And that includes his perfect life, his death, his resurrection. And you have that Jesus ascended into heaven. The implication being the next great step, and this is what plays out in the book of Revelation, is he's going to come back again. His second advent. But in the meantime, during this period where Jesus was born and ascended and we're anxiously waiting for him to come back, what is life going to be like for the church on earth? And I think that's really at the heart of this vision. And you see a couple of glimpses of this. Look at verse 6. After the ascension of Jesus, the woman, we're saying that's the church, that's us in every age, fled into the wilderness so we're in a wilderness experience now. The inter-advental period is a wilderness experience in every sense of the word. Where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. That is no candy-coated picture of what the experience will be like in this life. In fact, if you skip down to verse 17... 
We just looked at this. The dragon became furious with the woman after the ascension of Christ. He's furious with the church. He went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. That's what he does. He makes war against the church of Christ on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. But here's the key. And we keep coming back to this at the end of uh, end of verse uh, 6. During this inter-advental period, those of us who are in the church, those of us who, who are enduring the attacks of Satan, at the same time, we're also being nourished. We're also being taken care of. We're also being looked after. And note this period of time, 1,260 days. And again, I would say that is just an apocalyptic way of saying it won't last forever. He's playing with sevens again. 1,260, that is half of seven years. If you do 30-day months, it's just half of seven. It's less than the full, complete, this is going to last forever, doom and gloom picture that one living in this inter-advental period might be tempted to conclude. Hang in there, the Apostle John is saying. God will vindicate his own. God will preserve his own. That's the message of the vision of Revelation 12. You have this prince of darkness, and he is so powerful leading up to the birth of Jesus. He's powerful after the birth of Jesus. He's powerful after the ascension of Jesus. He's raging war against the people of Jesus, and it just looks like defeat is at hand. This woman is so poor and vulnerable. This little baby being birthed to the seven-headed dragon looks so poor and so vulnerable. And Revelation 12 asks the question, who is winning when it looks like heaven is losing? And the resounding answer that you see again and again and again in the book of Revelation is when it looks like all hell is breaking loose, in God's creation, don't think for a moment that Jesus Christ is not reigning on his throne, breaking the seals according to plan, and will vindicate his own at the end. I think that is the message of the Bible in a large degree. When you see all kinds of evil in this world, and friends, it's hard living in this world. It is hard living in this world. You run into tough assignments. You run into anxious family situations. You run into uh, struggling to forgive a bitter enemy. You run into problems with your spouse or friends or other relationships. You run into financial problems, health problems, depression, mental illness. I could just go on and on and on. Living in this inter-advental period is tough business, and often it may look like the prince of darkness is winning. But Jesus Christ is telling us in Revelation 12, take heart. When I was born, there was a seven-headed dragon who knocked out a third of the stars out of the sky. Well, however you interpret that, it's awful. But take heart because Jesus Christ is sovereign and you may feel lost and you may feel hurt and you may feel weak and you may feel weary and you may feel beat up and you may feel like the evil one is winning. 
But Jesus says, take heart, I control history. And even in your suffering, even in your despair, I'm working all things for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Friends, we need to hear that message. I need to hear that message. And praise be to God for that message. Your faith may be shaken, but his doom is sure. That is the message of Revelation chapter 12. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the encouragement that we find in your word. We thank you for the way that these pictures captivate our imagination. Lord, may they grab our hearts, grab our minds, give us a a new grounding and a new perspective in life in a difficult world. And we pray these things to the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. Amen.